Luck on Sunday, brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. My first guest has certainly got her eye in, and this is what she's been up to. Uzo when it's all to Luke. Uzo, it's history at Maidan. Well done, Safi Osborne. Not only what a moment for this young lady, but what a moment for UAE racing. Safi Osborne's able to pick up not only her first winner here in the UAE, but the first female rider in UAE history to ride a winner here. Emirati Anna winning in Doha, the Dukan Sprint, just a day after Uzo had made Safi Osborne the first woman to ride a winner at Maidan. Something that, I've got to say, rather surprised me. Hopefully it will open the floodgates somewhat. Good morning. Morning. Thank you very much for having me. Not at all. Thanks for coming in. And I know that the end of last year was a source of huge frustration for you. I would imagine the beginning of this one sees you at your happiest. Yeah, definitely. Um, the end of last year was pretty annoying, I'm not going to lie, but um, yeah, you'd probably take all that sort of hardship over the winter to yeah, come back and ride two nice horses like that. You're quite good at putting a brave face on it in public. Just to remind us exactly what the issue was. Um, I had a fall in Chelmsford um, in October um, and I um, ruptured the PCL in my knee um, and yeah, I had to spend three months in a brace. Um, I rode for three weeks afterwards and it was just becoming pretty apparent that it was never going to get any better. Um, and I was just in a lot of pain and it's... And, and did you know what you had done when you were riding on it? No, I, I rode the next day and I, I think in the back of your mind you kind of know, but I, I thought I'd been landed on by a horse going a, a fair gallop, so I thought that if it didn't settle down after a couple of weeks, I should probably start investigating on what's actually wrong. And no, um, Jerry Hill was great and sort of got really on top of it. And he, he, he allowed me to keep riding until I said, no, I, I need to pull the plug because it was just not gonna get any better. And I was looking at sort of, I knew dad had sort of got some really nice horses to run in the Middle East. And it was either sort of pull the plug then and get better or sort of keep pushing and just making it worse really. Now there was a specific reason why it was annoying you so much, target wise, wasn't there? Because you had a half an eye on, on 100, didn't you? Yeah, like it's, it's a number that every jockey wants to achieve in a year. and. Um, I just had such a good sort of end, sort of August, September, that it was looking like it actually might have been possible if, if it had kept going how it, how it was. And um, 
it's not it's not the end of the world. Hopefully, I've got plenty of years in front of me to try and achieve that. But um, yeah, no, it, yeah, it was frustrating at the time because everything was just going as well as it was. Were you aware that no woman had ever ridden a winner at Maidan? I wasn't. It's, it's slightly shameful, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, I saw a few people had mentioned it to me a few weeks before um, Uzo won, but no, I just presume that Haley would have, or um, yeah, there's been plenty of girls that have ridden there, so um, yeah, no, it was, yeah, it wasn't something that I really thought about that much trying to ride a winner there because I've grown up watching everyone ride winners there, and um, no, yeah, but it was, yeah, afterwards it was quite a cool thing to do. Um, I noticed you talked about uh, Toast of New York and when he was winning the UAE. Derby there. I mean, it seems like yesterday to me, but you were pretty much still still a kid then. Yeah, I think he was probably one of the first horses that I actually really remember, like everything about. And um, I was only 11 at the time when he won the UAE Derby, which sounds crazy. But um, yeah, I remember sort of. I, I didn't go to Dubai with mum and dad, and I remember watching it on the sofa at home, and it was yeah, it was wishing so you good. were in Dubai. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know any different there, so I was just, I was happy being at home. But, um, yeah, no, it was, yeah, I think it was, it's really weird now to think that's 10 years on, so, um, no. Were you even then, were you thinking about being a jockey? Yeah. Um, at 10 or 11? Yeah, I, I knew I wanted to ride, whether it was eventing or, um, or as a jockey, it was always going to be horses. Um, and I think I, I had three older brothers that really had no interest in um, horses whatsoever. So I think my parents were slightly shocked. And it was always, oh, no, you'll want to give up a, when you're 12 or when you're 14 or whatever. But um, yeah, no, it just stuck. And it was, it was just always sort of horse pony obsessed, really. That must be quite nice in a sense, because you know in your, in your heart that it's, it's self-driven rather than driven by any kind of external or parental pressure. Yeah, definitely. I think I, mum and dad used to laugh that I literally used to drag them to like Lambourne show each year with our, with the pony and try get dragged around doing every class. So um, no, yeah, it was always pushed by me, and I yeah, my parents were never like that. Whatever we all wanted to do, um, they were hugely supportive in that. Um, Uzo, I, I, I enjoyed the commentary particularly because it sounded as though the commentator was saying, Uzo, when it's all too late, then suddenly realised actually it wasn't too late and you timed it just about to, to perfection. He was, due, he was due one like that, wasn't he? Yeah, it's amazing to think a horse that we've sort of struggled to win with for the last two years has now won three in a row and I think he's now raced 107. Um, he's hasn't, the handicap has never been very kind to him purely because he's just such a consistent horse and um, I think sort of the step up and trip and riding him slightly more patiently, it's crazy to think and I'm saying an eight-year-old might have improved, but he, he's definitely improved for different tactics and um, um, yeah, he's hopefully a really nice horse to come back to Europe with this year. And did you want to ride him, like, did you want to ride him for luck and get him buried in and burrowing through the pack? Yeah, definitely. Um, when the rail's out that far it's a, and I was drawn three, it's a really hard place to come around them. I, like, I don't think I would have won if I was having to switch out and come around them. And um, it was just the case of trying to follow the right horse and um, luckily um, managed to pick the right one to follow. Um, you looked like you were having, a, having quite a good blow coming in there. I don't know did what you, you're trying you, to say. Did you, did you need the run? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> um, 
No, I don't know what you're trying to say. Well, no, you just look quite sort of, you just look quite <laughs> out of breath. I was obviously excited. Out of breath, or was it just a... No, the excitement, just a pure excitement. Was it just a flush of excitement? Flush of excitement, yeah. I mean, pure I can't excitement. talk. I'll be out of breath running down the stairs, but... It was very hot, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I mean? I'd go quite red in the face. <laughs> but, uh, you're probably making me quite red in the face now. <laughs> <laughs> um, your dad must have been pretty thrilled with this, but not as thrilled as he was with... Emma Artiana the next day. That was some. That was some reaction and a, a good plan by the looks of it. Yeah, well executed. I think. I think so, a lot of people probably thought he was quite silly paying 160 grand for a seven-year-old last year at the horses and training sale. But when you can find those races in the Middle East and pinpoint places where they can basically win back their purchase price, and he's done that in one run. Um, he's a really cool horse that. It's, it's okay by when you bought an older horse that he he ran to a seriously good level mm. the time before we bought him and um, he's absolutely loves the game and um, yeah he's won back his purchase price in one run basically unbelievable isn't it I mean it, when you sat on him I mean you sat on some pretty good horses but does he still feel like a, a, a genuine top-notch sprinter yeah I've never obviously I've never ridden a group one sprinter but um, I remember when I he had his prep run at Maidan for this race and I got off and I said, I don't think I've ever ridden a horse that fast in my life. Um, I remember we were absolutely trapping at Maidan and um, I was still sort of cantering um, in behind them. And I think in Qatar, like if I wasn't drawn as where I was, I would have ideally liked to have been able to follow one just to get him to settle a bit better. But um, And I, I think he probably would have finished a bit better then as well. Um, and sort of that would definitely be the tactics going forward. But um, no, he, he's he's done it well. And yeah, you say 100 and was it 170 thousand he cost? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you say it's crazy to pay that for a seven-year-old, but this is a horse who was still running in Group One races last year. It's not that long ago that he was finishing third in an Unthorpe to the Highfield Princess and winning the Haydock Sprint Cup and and all the rest of it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think. Sort of, in I think it was 2022 that he was just beating a Breeders' Cup Sprint. So, mm. um, no, he's a horse with a huge amount of ability, and he seems to retain a lot of it. Welcome back to Luck on Sunday. Safi Osborne still with me. Also joined by Jonathan Harding from the Racing Post, whose interview with Michael Duggar, the BGC chief, raised a few eyebrows this week. Jonathan, good morning. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Uh, very well, very well. Feeling um, old, to be honest, this morning. Uh, Harry Cobden is with us as well, whose season has gone from strength to strength. Harry, good to see you. And another profitable day at Kempton yesterday. Yeah, very good morning, Nick. Um, and you strike me as feeling on top of the world. With the with the game at the moment. Well, we've had a we've had a very good run of things probably since well the season began and um, yeah I'm in a privileged position to be riding lots of good horses. And every time I see you interviews on the TV, whether it's here or on Sky or on ITV, you're you seem to be smiling. Yeah. In victory or defeat. No, we've, I, I don't know. I just I've really enjoyed this season and um, hopefully it can continue and we can have a a decent. Uh, decent run in Cheltenham in a couple of weeks' time and hopefully Aintree as well. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth about your career and the way it's progressing a little bit later in the show, but we're going to take a canter through some of the racing from yesterday. And before we get to Kempton, we're going to take a look at the uh, world's richest horse race, uh, which was won by the United States for the first time since its inception. Senor Buscador with the horse in question, trained in uh, New Mexico by Todd Fincher. It was a, a blow for the little guys in the $20 million race uh, owned and bred 
by a family who've been doing this for five generations. And the last horse bred by Joey Peacock with his late father. So there was a great emotional resonance to this as well. We talk so much, Jonathan Harding, about super stables. They're taking over the game. You get one of the smaller outfits from New Mexico, horse who started at Remington, uh, Remington Park winning the world's richest horse race. Gives us all hope. It does, yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's a remarkable amount of money, isn't it? You say $20 million over and over again, you still can't quite understand how a race can be worth so much, but it's amazing for them. It looked unlikely at various stages of the race, to be honest, but the way the horse finished towards the end was remarkable. Only just. Uh, it was a very dramatic moment, and the difference between $10 million or second place, which is still worth a few quid as well. But, yeah, a massive result for them, and... A, a brilliant horse race, full stop. Uh, there was something that struck me. The horse there in the pink cat, it ju just beaten the length or so, is National Treasure, who'd beaten the winner in the Pegasus three weeks ago in Florida. They had an absolute humdinger that day. They went hammer and tongs for about five furlongs. Three and a half weeks later, in a different continent, flying however many thousand miles, and you think... All we hear now is, oh, you've got to give horses this really long rest. You've got to give them, like, three months off and then come back for another run. That gives light to that, doesn't it? Yeah, unbelievable. Well, obviously, unbelievable training performances from both. But, um, yeah, two top... Well, a field of top-class horses and some, yeah, unbelievable racing. Well, after the race, uh, Tom Stanley caught up with Winning Connections. With me, I'll be honest, I can't hear much. My goodness, how do you feel? I'm about to cry. It's amazing. Amazing. That's this horse, right? That's what he does to you, the way he does it. Yeah, and he's never got the credit he's deserved, and he finally got to show it today, so I'm just proud for the horse. Did you believe the whole way coming into this week? No, because something always happens to him about every race, so uh, uh, he always runs good. He always runs hard, but he always has 10 or 11 horses to weave in and out of and pace and all that, so... Uh, we knew he was going to run good. We just had to hope for the right setup, and we got it. How big is this for you, Tom? This is awesome. Enjoy it. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. Joe, you and your dad, you, you bred a Saudi Cup winner. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the last horse we bred together, so it's pretty special. Um, you know, we've always been really proud of the horse. He had a lot of trouble early in his career, but Todd Fincher gets all the credit. He was real patient with his horse worked on him, got him back to peak performance. We always knew he could put it together. We never thought he'd be the Saudi Cup, but uh, we'll damn sure take it. Uh, we're just, we're thrilled. We're so excited. How did you feel as he started his run? Okay. Listen, I tell you what, I want you to go and enjoy it. Well done, Joe. All the best. Thank you. From Remington Park to Riyadh in quite a few steps, to be honest with you, but great stuff. Uh, for Todd Fincher and Joey Peacock. You really need to get home on that track. You were riding at King Abdulaziz on Friday in that Jockey's Challenge. On the dirt, that, that must be quite unusual. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long way home. Um, as we've seen in plenty... Well, there's been five Saudi Cups and some fairly close finishes. Think about country grammar nearly getting up against the Japanese horse last year. And, um, yeah, you can people can come late and fast at you and... You can be thinking you're going pretty well at the top of the straight. And, um, and then be paddling. Yeah, and you can be paddling sort of coming to the line. So is it quite hard work? Is the surface quite hard work? Yeah, extremely. And just the, the manner of the racing. Um, they go 
fairly hard. Well, they go very hard in most dirt races, and it turns into a bit of a sort of war of attrition. And um, yeah, that horse was had plenty of work to do at the top of the straight, but they'd gone a good enough gallop, mm. and yeah, he came in the strongest. Harry, were you wondering why Sir Alex, Peter Doan and Jed Mason weren't at Kempton watching you win for them yesterday? We knew where he was anyway, <laughs> but um, yeah, I looked at the results last night and saw their horse won, so uh, they had a great day all round and um, Jed sent me a nice picture this morning of them enjoying the, enjoying the scenery out there, so uh, yeah, many congratulations to them. I wasn't sure whether they knew at the time whether you'd won already, because the two races were not that far apart. Let's have a look at Spirit Dancer, seven years old, winning a multi-million dollar race. Uh, this son of Frankel, exquisitely trained by Richard Fahey. You can see the red and white Ferguson silks, the big white blaze, bred by Sir Alex as well, another homebred winner. So I know by Frankel, I know it's not rags to riches, Jonathan, but it's not out of the playbook, is it? No, it's, it's not. We're not talking about a major owner breeder here, a Godolphin or, a, you know, Jubmont or any of those, really. It's, it's a recognisable figure in Sir Alex Ferguson, and I think Actually, it's worth noting just how important that is for racing, his involvement in it. The fact that he's so engaged with it as well is, is brilliant because I was in that press room at Kempton and there was a lot of focus on the Graham McDowell being there and the golfer and, and all of the guys working for the Nationals were getting the calls from the desk. As soon as Sir Alex Ferguson had a winner, they had to rewrite all of their intros. He's a, a big name and it's great to see him loving it as much as he is there in those pictures. And Safi, you and I were in Bahrain when this horse won Spirit Dance. You were on the sidelines at the time. And you could see then how much Sir Alex was getting a kick out of it. Yeah, he seemed to absolutely love it, but you would. And um, yeah, this horse has been unbelievable. I remember him beating me in a racing league race um, in the middle of the summer. It's insane, isn't on it? A, on a horse that, on Trigoni, who actually won a stakes race later in the year. And I couldn't believe it. I thought I thought I couldn't get beat. From and the this, racing yeah. league to Riyadh. I know, and from Remington is... to Riyadh, the racing yeah. league. <laughs> and this beat me, and then it won at York, and I didn't feel so bad. But um, yeah, no, he's been a sort of... He's been unbelievable. I've been I've been in Dubai quite a lot. I'm seeing him train, and now he's a lovely horse. And um, yeah, no, he's he's done unbelievable. And of course, not the most high-profile horse even at the moment that Sir Alex Ferguson is involved with. Um, that honour befalls the great Caldwell Potter, who I saw footage of you schooling yeah. earlier in the. Was it you schooling yeah, him yeah, down at Ditcher? Yeah, um, he's obviously um, he doesn't need much introduction. He's already won a great one, but um, you know he's probably I think the most expensive horse ever purchased. Um, National Hunt. Um, on that side of things, but uh, yeah, he goes nicely. He jumps really well, and um, uh, he's very likable, easy-going horse that's settled in really well. And I think Paul's made his intentions quite clear that he's going to skip Cheltenham, go to Aintree with him for probably the two and a half. Well, you can actually say he literally felt a million dollars when you sat on him the other. Well, he, <laughs> he felt like he was worth that that much money anyway. He's, you know, he, he just had a, he just, you know, those good horses. They're different, aren't they? They feel. Um, Slightly classier. Yeah, they find schooling easy. Um, they can do things other horses don't do. And you know that horse goes around there. And um, in that video that you probably watched, it was just effortless for him. And um, some horses find that difficult. The only th he made that look very easy. But I genuinely though, are there horses that you sat on maybe for the first time, maybe for other trainers who've got like quite a decorated CV, and you've thought, 
Well, this doesn't give me much of a feel. Yeah, uh, I think a prime example is um, handstand that I rode for Ben Pauling the other day uh, at Huntingdon. I went in and rode two horses, tell her his name and handstand. and Went in and rode them at his yeah, place? Yeah, just went in and rode them out in the morning. Um, and um, handstand uh, felt like a sort of naught to 105 horse and uh, tell her his name felt like a one, 145 horse. And, um, you know, it was funny, just from riding him at home to getting him, riding him on the track, he just felt like a completely different horse. Because you won the Sydney Banks on him, right? Yeah. At Huntingdon, it was a good race. So when you went to Huntingdon, did you drive there thinking, oh, I'm not really sure this is any good? Well, sometimes those good horses, they just sort of, they don't blow you away. You know, they just sort of do things, at, um, they just like stay away. Faye would be like a similar sort of horse. He he wouldn't blow you away. He just sort of. He's a proper stayer. Yeah, isn't he? he's a proper stayer. And I think this horse could could be the same. He just he didn't feel like much at home. But as soon as he got onto the track, it was like he grew a hand. He just felt like he had so much more class about him. And um, yeah, just I think he just woke up for the race course. Will you be open in that race at Cheltenham, the two and a half mile, the Bering Bingham? Say that again. Sorry. Will you be free? I will be free. Yeah, but um, I I don't think I'll be riding him. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Who do you think you'll be riding? I don't know. Probably. Well, it'd be Keelan Woods or Ben Jones. Okay. Yeah. All right. But you would, if, if, oh, if, yeah, I'd be if, putting my name in the hat certainly. For argument's sake, <laughs> Mr. Radford was keen to have you on board. I would. Uh, I'd be there. Yeah. Do you actually think he'd have a, a shot of being competitive? Yeah. I, I'm like that horse. We probably don't know how good he is in the respect that like he only does what he has to do. Um, he's got a likable way of going. Um, so uh, you wouldn't know how good he is at this stage. OK, we've had a little meander. We're going to meander back to Riyadh just briefly because we talk about purchase price relative to achievement on the track. Look at Anaf. Ex-Shadwell, bought out of Owen Burroughs' yard for 16,000 guineas. One six, 16,000 guineas. Again, a multi-million dollar prize goes his way. Shell-shocked owner last night. Brilliant ride from Ross Orion, Jonathan up the fence uh, and another big international triumph for Mick Appleby. Yeah, and, and it's all credit to Mick Appleby and his willingness to campaign these horses abroad and be a little bit brave with it. I think he's won an Italian St. Ledger, a Breeders' Cup. The races are there if you're willing to travel for them. Um, he has full belief that his horses can be competitive at this sort of level and look whether he was going in there anticipating winning, I don't know, but it was a fantastic result for a smaller yard. Ross Ryan looked a bit Almost a bit shell-shocked afterwards, I thought. But he obviously loves the horse. I thought it was a bit... It's a bit like you on Uzo. It must be quite fun to ride a horse that you know it's got to be done that way. And if it works for you, it works for you. Yeah, especially when you're riding for connections that understand that and that understands that you could get a hard luck story. It was a brilliant ride. Um, he was drawn out in the car park and the other two European horses that were also drawn out in the car park sort of got forced to go forward and um, turned it into a proper gallop and it just played perfectly into his hands. and. No, he had a very willing partner to take the gap on the rail, and um, no, he's a really classy horse. He he kind of runs like that. He's run a good. He's run. He's won some nice races around Lingfield and stuff like that. So um, no, he suits some sharp tracks. As one of my American colleagues said to me, you know, we spend all this time looking for Charlie Appleby in these international races, but actually his brother Mick is a better <laughs> trainer. <laughs> Get on with the jumping, I hear many of you shouting. That's what we're going to do now. Caliph Duberle um, yesterday in the Adonis Hurdle at Kempton. Is this a real one, Harry Cobden? Um, 
I think so. He's he's not your typical looking juvenile. He's probably 16-3, um, real big strong horse, and I think he'll improve massively for a summer at grass and a bit of time. Um, he jumps very well. He's clearly got an engine, and we like him a lot. But uh, I think he'd be a he's a next he's a next year's horse really. Okay, you've got Gimme Five, who yeah, they're <coughs> sort of campaigning quite aggressively. Want to go to Cheltenham? Looks a real now horse, straight off the flat. Did you always feel you had him covered? I, I, I thought I'd beat him easier, in, in, slightly easier, sort of going to the last. And he, he's picked up again. And um, tough little horse, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proper hardy little juvenile, lovely horse. And uh, you know, I, I, obviously the best horse is one on the day. But um, you know, the, the the Harry Darham horse, you know, looks a nice type for maybe a fair winter or something like that. Is there any part of you or Paul Nichols that thinks you ought to run your horse in the Triumph Hurdle? I. I'd be avoiding it, but um, he's the trainer. Um, Do you I, think he's tempted? I, I, I don't think so. He knows this horse isn't ready. Um, and like, I think before his previous run at Kempton, we probably only had him 70 days in the yard. So um, he hasn't been there very long at all. Um, and Paul is always one thinking of the future. So I, I just, I can't see him. I can't see him running in three weeks. To just, I, I just don't think that'll happen. And of the horses that are engaged in the race from from your stable and of course I know you've been yeah. been riding um, James Owen's horse as well uh, who who clearly has got lots of talent but at road of the horses that Paul Nichols has in the mm -hmm. Triumph Hurdle are there any that you think is a, a genuine contender well I don't think so I think Liari will probably go for the Fred Winter um, so we, we we probably won't have a runner in that race now okay so that would leave you free for hopefully but road yeah and you smile when I mention his name as though you think that last time wasn't a true reflection of his ability? Um, I don't think he ran as well as he prob probably could have done. Um, it was a little bit of a messy race. We were sort of in three divisions. There were um, a couple making the running and Sir Gino was sort of following away and then there were two not so good ones at the back and I was following them and sort of halfway round I had to get a bit closer because you can't give a Henderson horse 25 lengths down the back, can you? Um, and that just lit him up. He was a bit too free and... Yeah, uh, James is fairly confident that he can get him better for Cheltenham. Um, a fast run race would really suit him. Uh, and I, I still think he's got lots of ability. OK, let's have a look at your other winner from Kempton yesterday, at Golden Sun. You've had a good run for Johnny and Samantha yeah. Delahaye recently, haven't you? Yeah, really good. Um, you know, they're obviously massive supporters of mine in the yard. And um, Johnny's got a lovely team of horses. But, you know, this lad bounced back yesterday. I, I thought he would. Um, you know, they were, they were confident that he'd been working well at home. And, um, you know, he's, he's put his foot back in the right direction. And I think, he'll, uh, I think he'll just keep going forward now. OK. Where do you think he will land up? What sort of horse do you, think, do you see him as in the longer term? Um, I don't... I'm not sure. I, I, he's quite slow. I think he could... I think... I'm not sure whether we'll see him run over... Um, a proper, a true trip this season, but certainly next season, I think we'll probably go up to three miles, and um, s I think then we'll probably see him improve. But he's only a relatively young horse, and uh, when he came to us, he had a little problem, um, and he's probably taken a bit of time to go over that, get his confidence back. His comeback run was really good, but he probably bounced a bit on his um, two runs after that. But he was tough yesterday. He was good. Um, slow is fine as long as they keep going. That's right. Yeah. Um, right, Anthony Honeyball went hard, went hard at the big handicap chase yesterday, the Coral handicap chase, and he came up trumps as well because forward plan was the winner. And I'm hoping 
that Anthony is going to join us very shortly. We're just going to dial him up now. <coughs> but Harry, you can talk me through the, the finer points of this race because this is the first time I've seen it. Yeah, um, Ben Godfrey gave his horse a great ride. He sort of jumped off and um, sat halfway down the rail. Um, I can see where you are. You're in the pink silks yeah. on the outside on Il Rodeo. He was never going, really. He didn't go from the start. But uh, I thought Ben gave the horse a good ride. He took his time, and he didn't actually look like the winner turning in. Um, and I thought the horse sort of looked like he was going to make hard work of it, but it, he sort of weaved through the gaps going towards the last, got, got a great jump, and... Um, the horse picked up really well. Um, great ride, uh, obviously fantastic training performance and um, really nice horse to go with this. So, uh, yeah, great, great, great for all connections. Yes, yeah, scarcely looked the winner too out. <coughs> almost didn't look the winner at the last. Al Dancer's the horse in front. Still got a bit of lead in his pencil for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's great to see, isn't it? And um, they had a winner on the day, Sam Thomas and uh, Di Walters as well. So uh, it wasn't a completely a bad day for them. but. Brilliant to see him finish so strongly in a clear second as well. Just got nipped. Um, that was Anthony Honeyball's Sam Brown finishing in fifth, quite a close-up fifth under a big weight on a track that may not have been ideal. That's a good run. Mm, good run, and I didn't think he was. He didn't look like he was going to complete sort of halfway down the back straight. So I thought Johnny Burke did a good, uh, good job to get him as close as he did. He flew home. Okay. Um, ben Godfrey, elated after forward plan helps rider to biggest win, screamed the headline uh, today. Were you impressed? Very impressed. I loved his celebration after the line as well. There's a lot of sort of celebration police at the moment on, you know, you can't over-celebrate, you shouldn't, but I think biggest win, why not give it the big one after the line? I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And you're, it you're quite a good celebrator, aren't you? Yeah, I think so, maybe. Um, you're not in the Paddy, Brennan, Harry, Skelton league, but you're, no, you're getting there. Yeah, uh, no, I thought that was good from Ben Godfrey yesterday. He, he deserved that. He's had lots of... Um, He's had lots of decent rides lately, but uh, to finally win that, that proper £150,000 race on a Saturday was very much deserved. Should we talk to the winning trainer? Anthony Honeyball's on the line now. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Nick. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure you echo all Harry's comments about Ben Godfrey there. Yeah, yeah, we let, we let him off that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. No, it was good. It's a cracking, you... cracking pot to win. Very good prize money. You don't mind a good celebration, do you? Uh... Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite happy to be in that situation. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We, we always just have a laugh about it. We always sort of say, um, it's, it's just, uh, it's just their job, you know. It's just their job. You just get the job done, and uh, and not, uh, you know, no, it's not a big surprise to to sort of go and win. But at the same time, then um, no. But when you win a win a, it's just great for Ben. When he wins a big pot like that, it definitely, uh, yeah, enjoyed that celebration. Sure. Um, you had to have eyes everywhere yesterday watching your, your three in that race, all with varying fortunes, one non-completion, one horse running very well perhaps against the odds and one winning. Um, talk me through the way you were thinking about all three of them through the race. Uh, yeah, I found it really tough. Um, I was kind of just watching Blackjack Magic a lot of the way and just sort of, sort of Sam in the corner, Sam Brown was sort of shielded a bit and could see him sort of just popping around, he seemed okay and forward plan I caught him the odd time and then it sort of switched from black never Sam was out of the picture and then sort of switched to forward plan and thought oh we could be struggling for anything here um didn't even to be quite honest I didn't even note I, I I didn't note blackjack falling down the inside I knew he was just boxing on to sort of fourth or fifth and then I thought oh we might we might finish sort of Benz is actually staying on a bit here and we might finish sort of he might actually pick up the pieces a little bit and then yeah I couldn't believe it just within within a second or two we were suddenly um 
you know, it was all over. We sort of landed over the last. You thought there's only one winner now. He's flying home. Um, uh, and have you got a forward plan for forward plan? Yeah, well, we always knew this was a free hit. So even though we thought the ground was, we knew he'd go on the ground. It was just stamina. And and then we started to think, sort of look at a few of the races before and think, well, actually, this is back at three miles, and he does go on the ground. So we were very, but we were very much. Like, I spoke to the owner the afternoon before, and we were very much. Let's, let's, let's have a go at this. It's always been the plan to come to this race. A little bit unlucky. Maybe the ground's gone a bit for him, but we're all organised. Let's go for it. And um, we can. Um, it's a bit of a free hit because we, you know, if he does have a hard race, we were prepared for that, that, that it might go wrong. It might be too stamina, too stamina sapping for him. And then we're off to Aintree for the handicap there. That was always, you know, where we'd go yeah. next. I um, mean, if anything went wrong, we'd, we'd hop over to Punchestown with him. But... Um, It'd probably be Aintree or Punchestown, and more likely Aintree for him. Flat track, three miles, um, yeah, suits, suits him really well. Goodish ground generally, but obviously now it looks like as long as it's not an extended three miles, I think um, you know, soft ground's not, not a problem either. So he's a pretty, uh, pretty handy horse to have. Uh, and what about the other two? Is Blackjack Magic OK this morning? Yes, and sort of got a nasty cut on a hind leg. He's, he's done a fair job on himself, a hematoma between his front legs. But... Um, We'll, um, yeah, he looks bright as a button this morning, to be fair. He's just wrapped up and um, he's on antibiotics and anti-inflammatories. And um, he, he'd, be, he'd be fine. He'll probably ride out on Monday, just mooch around the roads. Um, and I think he's still on a workable mark. Um, just need to have him fresher. Um, he'd be dangerous sort of first time out next season. Um, but we, if we run him again, it'll be in sort of five, six weeks yeah. somewhere. Um, I haven't broken the news to the owners yet, but I'd, I'd quite like to take him to Punchestown for the Pat Taff. Um, for one last go, take him out there, sort of freshen him up over there, um, take him over early and um, have a go at that. But because you're always guaranteed safe ground there, and if it, obviously, ideally for him, it would rain on top of the safe ground, and then we'd be um, in with a little bit of a shout. And you've had a wonderful record at Punchestown over the years, and uh, th there's absolutely no doubt Sam Brown would have augmented that record had he not fallen last year. Do you want to write that wrong? Oh, what? Well, uh, well, I mean, yeah, we've been lucky there. We've had sort of winners the last three years at Punchdown Festival. And, um, yeah, Sam would have been nice and on the Cape last year because it would have obviously killed Bed mm. King, won the handicap hurdle there. And Sam Brown, um, you know, he's a bit unlucky there. Um, yeah, he would have won. Rejuvenate. Yeah, I think so. I, we managed to rejuvenate him after the fall at the chair. And, um, and then we had another fall there. So, was, um, But, yeah. Yeah, um, we, we, I think Sam Brown, just talking about it this morning, we might, could enter him in the Irish National. We haven't really got, or, or he'll go back to Aintree, well, sort of one or the other, really. But I thought he ran an absolute cracker yesterday. I mean, he wasn't really in the race. And then, so he's only beaten three lengths. Of course, you know, picked up some more prize money, but he's probably only going to, if he gets dropped, he'll only get dropped a pound. And he's 12 years old, 12 years old, 12 stone, 152 rated. Um, it's tough, as I said to the owners, it's tough, tough to know where to go with him really at the minute. Um, but he's run another cracking race. Anthony, great day for you yesterday. Um, delighted that they're all OK this morning. And we will uh, look forward to seeing them at Aintree and Punchestown and beyond. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Anthony Honeyball, who won the big race at Kempton yesterday. He didn't win all the races at Kempton yesterday. And neither did Harry Cobden, who had to settle for second on Tamuras in the Pendle Novices Chase. Behind Blow Your Wad. Blow Your Wad had the cheek pieces applied for the first time for Tom Lacey. And um, Tamuras, it looks as though he taxes you a little bit, Harry, or he tests you. Yeah, um, slightly frustrating. Um, you know, he came off the bridle 
quite a long way out, but um, he, he jumped the last three fences really well. I actually thought I'd win jumping the last, and he's, um, he's just not really felt to me like he's properly gone through with it. You know, he's hanging left and jumping left, but he, he's, he, he, one thing he has done is he's got his jumping up together. Um, and he's, you know, I, I, thought, I, I still thought I'd win halfway up the running, and uh, Blow Your Wads just pulled out a bit more, but. Um, we haven't seen the best of him yet. I think he certainly needs to go back left-handed. Um, I think the trainer will find a nice race for him somewhere in the spring, um, and it wouldn't surprise me if he won a real good pop for the end of the season. So he's got all the abilities in there, isn't it? He? It's yeah. just he's going to challenge you, isn't he? Yeah, it's certainly there. Um, and just you know, even going around there over two and a half, I don't know. You're probably jumping 16, 17 fences, and you're shifting um, a couple of strides left at every fence, and you've got to drag him back in, and he's hanging a little bit left. You know that there. Um, that's going to make a huge difference when you're going back left-handed. The Dovecot Novice Hurdle was won by Lump Sum in the Die Walters colours for Sam Thomas. He thinks this horse is pretty special and he's got his Grade 2 victory. Uh, you're riding Panjari in this race, so you had a, a, a fair idea of what sort of a race it was. You're down on the inside there in the white sleeves. And the horse in front, the blue and white, and the horse in the Radford colours, the maroon, were second and third behind Jericho de Repinay at Doncaster. Yeah, uh, two likeable horses, um, especially the winner. I love the way um, he sort of settled throughout the race, and uh, I think he's won with a little bit in hand. Um, Sam's obviously given him a great ride, but you know the, the, the front two are obviously uh, the two that have got the real ability, and um, yeah, very likeable performance. Yeah, I, I just felt talking to Sam Thomas, Jonathan, earlier in the week that he thinks this horse is a cut above most that he's had. Yeah, and, and he's had some very good horses as well. Um, and with him, you always think, what are they going to be like over a fence? Because I don't know whether this is an unfair association, but you do think, when you think Sam Thomas, you do think these big staying chasers in those, going for those big pots. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see him develop in that way from here. He's a nice horse, lump sum, and he was winner of the Dovecot Novices Hurdle yesterday on that Coral-sponsored card. Big race in Ireland was the Bobby Joe Chase. Only four of them went to post the race named after the 1999 Grand National hero. Also, of course, the winner of the Irish Grand National, Bobby Joe. The Irish Grand National race won by I Am Maximus last year. He's now joint favourite for the Aintree equivalent. But Willie Mullins conceives of him potentially as a Gold Cup horse of the future, um, which I thought was the most interesting point out of that, Harry. Yeah, um, when Willie Mullins says something, we normally all listen, don't we? So um, he knows the he knows the horse better than anyone, um, and uh, yeah, he's a man that talks a lot of sense. So uh, I think we should take note. And he's turned this horse again. You're talking about Tamura is kind of making you think about how you might unlock his ability. This horse, Jonathan, looked like a right monkey earlier on in his career, and now looks pretty straightforward. Yeah, look, it's just a bit of patience, and he's probably running over the right kind, in the right sort of conditions now, isn't he? And I was, like you, particularly struck by this Cheltenham Gold Cup. I had to almost read that headline twice, thinking Grand National, then the Gold Cup uh, the following year. But you can see, you can see why he's, he's going down that route, because he's a, he's a strong stare, isn't he? And he, he finished this race particularly well. I think in the Grand National, I wouldn't be writing off the runner-up, though. He's a... An interesting mover. He's got a rather exaggerated splayed action and dishes quite markedly, doesn't he? I don't think he'd want the ground too quick. No, certainly not. And um, you know what I love about the horse as well? That, that horse really looks like he enjoys his race, and doesn't he? And um, he's obviously, Willie's obviously got him in a very good place, and um, he looks like a good jumper. He does everything right.
More from Harry Cobden in a few moments' time. But, as you probably know, um, unless you've been uh, on Mars, um, Constitution Hill was the star of Nicky Henderson's pre-Cheltenham Open Day. And uh, our reporter, yes, Stafford, and um, here is what she came up with. He's a horse that hasn't really been in, a, in, a, in much of a fight this year, but would you really like to see him sort of learn, like, give him the opportunity to get down and dirty and fight, or do you think he's a horse that just doesn't no, need one? I'd hate it. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'm sure he would. I mean, but nobody knows. He's never been in a dogfight. Nobody knows. He might curl up and say, I can't. I doubt it. At least I hope I doubt it. I certainly do. Yeah, I have full confidence in him, but one day... This can't go on forever. We know that. There was a lovely quote from Patrick Mullins where he said that he saw the horse lift his front two legs two inches while he was in the air in that final hurdle in the champion hurdle last year. So he's got the brain power to know he might have just got it a little bit wrong, but actually I'm going to save myself at the right time. Did that, when you rewatched it again, sort of amaze you even more? Because it was a shock for everyone, but actually it was quite clever how he managed to save himself. It was. I mean, a couple of people said that, that they were, they were down at the last and, and they saw what he did. And as Nico would, said, well, the only reason he could do it, because he was a fresh horse, he'd got the strength. You know, that, that's why you'll see falls like that or what might have happened there. You'll see it at the, you know, the end of a race because they, they're probably tired horses. Mm -hmm. But he had the sort of strength to invent wings in midair. Not many horses can do it. Not many horses can do it at the last because they're meant to be tired by then. You know, you're responsible for something that's a bit special. Mm -hmm. So there is that little extra bit of pressure. We've got to produce the goods mm -hmm. and he's got to and we're responsible for it. We've got to get him there. You know as well as I do that that path is full of mines and potholes and goodness knows what and everything has to go right. It hasn't. We had a blip in the middle. He wasn't... Um, I mean, he wasn't ill. He just had a dirty scope. And if you go running galloping horses like that, you'll get into a lot of trouble. Um, so we had to pull stumps for a couple of weeks, which is happens to, you know, most horses get it every year, possibly. So, you know, you've got the responsibility, but also it, everybody's expecting it. And therefore, they probably enjoy the race more than we do. We probably enjoy the bit afterwards more than they do. Thank goodness that's over and it's worked. Yeah. I'm not complaining <laughs> because you're very, very lucky boys to have horses like this and they don't come around very often. State man, who's state man? <laughs> Never heard of him, have we? And we'll move on to, to Shishkin because he seems to me to be in the perfect national hunt horse and that you've had him run over two miles. He's been a speed horse. He's developed into a Gold Cup horse. Can you look back on his profile now and think, he's actually turned out to be the real national hunt dream, really? He is. He's lovely. Um, I thought, he was, you know, they were a bit cruel to him, really, before, before the, 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 the um, Denman chase at Newbury. Tandid Ducky was a, an escaped convict. You know, he'd done something terrible wrong. He had at Ascot. That was his fault, I must admit. Um, but Kempton was not his fault. And I thought it was unfair. I mean, you know, I'm not saying he would have won, but he did still run a fantastic race, bearing in mind that was his first run of the season. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'd have to be very happy at what he did at Kempton, whether he'd have won or not. Um, and then he was very good at Newbury. So, you know, 
he's done, I say, the only thing he's done wrong is decided he didn't want to jump that fence going down the hill at Ascot. Did he give you the impression at Newbury and Nico as well that he's a horse that is just really enjoying the stamina test that he's been that he's been given this year and that he and he's I'm improving sure it helps over further? Him, yeah, I mean, you know, he's he, he, it's much easier for him to get into a rhythm, mm. and that's I think what he's enjoying. And you know, a lot of people ask, will he stay? That's three miles, three and a quarter up the hill. Well, I, I, personally, I think he'll love it, but I may well be wrong. Well, as you'll have heard, if you were paying attention to Harry Cobbton a few moments ago, he's taken a good few more rides this season, up to 568, and is now six clear of Sean Byrne at the top of the uh, Jockeys' Championship. Here are one or two of his highlights. Racing up towards the line, born famous from last to first to take the summer plate. Elite hurdle for Paul, a second for Harry Copton, four on the day for Paul Nichols, and a Harry Copton treble. This was a cool ride from Harry Copton. Burdett Road has remained unbeaten as one very impressively. Dave Star and Harry Copton in front are going to make all the running to win the Paddy Power Gold Cup. Fayway Bay to make it two wins from two starts over fences. The former national winner out in front, but here comes Paisley Park near to the line. It's Noble Yates just holding him. Harry Cobden, it's been a golden season so far, and the spring festivals are just around the corner. 129 for 568 plays Sean Bowen's 123 for 553. Of course, Sean missed that significant portion through injury, and they've got a nice break on Brian Hughes, a former champion jockey. Sam Twiston-Davies, who's having a cracking season, as is Gavin Sheehan. But, Harry, as you were saying yourself a few moments ago, much busier. It was a deliberate ploy. Or has it just become like that as the season's developed? <coughs> no. Um, like, to be fair, in the summer, we, we did um, set our stall out and had a good go. And I had lots of support from, um, you know, the likes of Tony Charlton and um, James Owen. And I've ridden for probably ten times the amount of trainers that I'd normally ride for and um, uh, yeah I, I suppose you know I th my, my plan throughout the summer was 40 winners I rode 40 winners but um, I think on the 6th of October I was something like 49 or 47 behind Sean so uh, it was looking slightly unrealistic then. So what flicked the switch then from being Mr Big Day to Mr Everyday? Um, I just thought it would be great to have a go and, um, you know, I'm 25 now. I don't want to get five years down the line and try and have a go when I'm 30 or even older than that. So, uh, yeah, I thought let's try and give it a go. I thought it was the, it was a sort of a, a good opportunity. Um, don't get me wrong, I think it was probably one of the worst seasons to try and do it because Paul literally didn't have a summer jumper in. So um, you had to sort of rally round and get all the spares you could get. But, um, yeah, I got some, I made some... Um, great contacts in the summer with lots of good trainers and picked up some great spares and to be fair I've really enjoyed it. And did you think that you needed to be busier? Um, I probably didn't need to be busier because I was making a good living as it was mm. and um, you know I rode lots of quality and there wasn't a great deal of quantity there. I meant sort of mentally more than financially. 
Um, I d no, I, d I didn't. I don't, I don't think I did. No, probably not then. So it was really just the the itch to scratch to see if you could be champion jockey. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, Sam Strong, uh, he, he was he was fairly keen for it to happen. Um, so um, we put our I heads together and we had a good go. Is he quite persuasive as an agent? We were talking to Safi about Tony Hind earlier. I sort of understand a little bit about the way that Tony works. Yeah, um, obviously, um, when Dave Roberts was in control, um, I probably didn't. I, did, I probably didn't realise what a great job he did of managing me at the time, and I probably back then wanted more rides. But really, Dave just did a great job of sort of, sort of pointing my career in the right direction, and um, I never rode any bad horses. There was never any horses that I was riding with Dave that I didn't think I should have been riding and he sort of looked after me really well, got me into some great positions like when things were, when Sam was stable jockey for Paul, he put me in with the Tizards and then he sort of, he was the only man that controlled that and I remember like one season I was riding, I was literally Nichols's first jockey and riding all the Tizards as well and it was, yeah, unbelievable. Um, but he did an unbelievable job and then obviously he retired. I went to Sam and um, Sam's taken that role on really well and we've had lots of success ever since. Um, were you just taking that all in your stride in that kind of happy-go-lucky way that you appear to have or actually was there a lot more inner um, pressure riding those good horses? No, I don't think so. I, I, I think, um, you know, I've, even from a very young age I've probably been well, I, I was cocky back then and was probably very confident in my own ability. And um, Were you a cocky kid then? I think so, yeah, I'd probably say I was. Um, but I suppose you grow older and you mellow out and relax about things a little bit more, don't you? And um, I, I um, yeah, I've, I've always been in a fortunate position where since a seven pound claim, you know, Paul Nichols let me ride in grade ones. And um, I think I've won my first grade one as a five pound claimer and um, I suppose he's always given me good opportunities and so have lots of other people so I probably you know I suppose when that's all you've ever been used to mm -hmm. is riding on the big days and having good rides on um, decent horses in big races it sort of comes naturally. When did you first go into Paul Nichols? When I was 13. 13? Yeah 13. And so how did that come about? Um, so I started riding out for um, Ron Hodges when I was nine or ten um, and it was just on his, he had a few um, quiet old jumpers back in the day and um, and then he got me into pony racing and then from pony racing I rode against Megan on the weekends and uh, Paul was obviously at the pony races supporting Megan and there were a few occasions where I finished in front of her and uh, yeah, Paul must have, I suppose, seen something and he said to me, oh, when you're when you're old enough, come and ride out. And I gave him a call when I was 13 and rode out for him in the summer. That speaks quite a lot about the way he operates that, doesn't yeah. it? He doesn't miss a lot. He was the same with um, Freddie, Freddie Gingell as well and um, Sean Bowen. He obviously saw something in Sean and wanted him. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's a shrewd operator and he doesn't miss too much. Yeah, and the fact that you and Sean are now vying for this, this championship, it, it seems as though you're able to do this quite hard but get on pretty well Whereas you go back to the days of you know Dun Dunwoody and Maguire yeah. and that kind of intense, bitter rivalry. 
Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's probably quite nice that um, we get on so well. And, um, you know, we, are, we had our real first job together down in Ditchit. And, um, you know, when I couldn't drive and, and, and Sean could, we, we got lifts together. And, yeah, we've had m many a good day together. And I've sat next to him for the probably part. Oh, do you own one? He was your designated yeah, driver. Yeah, I've probably sat next to him for the last <laughs> seven years as well. So, um, yeah, we, we've, we get on tremendously well. I've never, ever had a crossword with him on or off the track and um, you know he's a true professional yeah he seems like a fairly measured yeah no character. he is yeah and uh, but to be fair I, I, he's he's fairly relaxed like me and not too much would phase him Peter Savile has been in the news again this week. He gave a very interesting interview to Bill Barber in the Racing Post on Friday in which he outlined his proposals for race courses, commercial arrangements with horsemen and the contributions that he feels that they should be mandated to give. He says race courses need to accept they need to change the way they do business and prize money will benefit as a result. He has several um, different areas which provide him with context in these matters, not least of which, of course, he was once the chairman of the British Horse Racing Board. He was the architect, uh, broadly speaking, of what has now become the premierisation plan last year. And, of course, he's chairman of Plumpton Racecourse. So he's got plenty to go at. Uh, this is a plan that has uh, not been met with universal agreement. The National Trainers Federation have not got behind it yet. Julian Richmond Watson, who is the uh, chairman of the Thoroughbred Group, has said it's not something that they're prepared to support at the moment, seeking as they are to develop their own commercial arrangements with race courses. However, Peter Savile, having met with a number of trainers around the country, has got a number of signatories and has uh, received support from some no notable ownership groups as well. And he joins me now from his home in Ireland. Peter, good morning. Morning. <coughs> morning, Nick. Um, I, I know you want a lot of time. We have, I hope, a decent chunk of time, so we better get straight to it. What do you want to happen? Well, I want to see the uh, race courses change the way they do business with horsemen. Um, I own a race course, and therefore I've, I've had 25 years of experience of, of seeing how uh, best to run a race course. And I think it's important, first of all, that you have to run it very efficiently and keep your costs down. But in fact, there's no real imperative to do that. Uh, the problem is that race courses are basically venue businesses. And in all venue businesses, normally the price is set uh, by the performer. If you think about Elton John, for instance, turning up to the O2, he'll tell them how much money he wants to turn up. And if the, if the O2 doesn't pay it, then he'll go somewhere else. Uh, in horse racing, in the relationship between race courses and horsemen, it's the race courses that set the price. And the horsemen have absolutely no say in it. And I think that that is wrong. I think there has to be a much more of a, a, a unified discussion between the two sides. And a percentage of total racing revenue needs to be put aside at the very beginning by race courses uh, that goes into prize money. And that, that, that doesn't happen in, in all other racing jurisdictions that I'm familiar with. The governing body makes sure that there's a fair distribution of racing revenue, if you think about France and Hong Kong, Japan, Australia. Um, but that doesn't happen in, in England. The, basically, the race courses have guaranteed fixtures, they have guaranteed revenue as a result. Most of that money flows directly, if not almost all of it, flows directly into race courses. And they have a lot of freedom as to how much they put into prize money. They can actually um, 
organize their direct costs, overheads, how much profit they want, and what's left over can go into prize money. Um, the mechanism for trying to make sure that sufficient money goes into prize money at the moment is a system called minimum values. And minimum values didn't change for five years. And every time there's an attempt to change them in the BHA, the RCA, the Racecourse Association, um, objects to it and tries to minimize them and keep them as low as possible. The bottom line is that at Plumpton, if we actually just put in the minimum values that we have to put in, which is the only mechanism that there is for ensuring a fair distribution, we could actually make another almost £500,000 profit a year. And I don't think that's the right mechanism for making sure that there's a fair distribution. I think that we need to find what that right percentage is of total racing revenue, and it needs to be top sliced because that way it'll make racecourses run an efficient and tight operation. And I think there are quite a lot of racecourses at the moment that don't do that. Uh, what, what is the mechanism for compelling racecourses to do this? How would you arbitrate this? And is the BHA in a position or equipped under the structure of, of British racing to do this? Well, I think, I think the BHA has to be the organisation as the governing body to make sure, just like uh, uh, France Gallo does that in France, uh, Racing Victoria does it down in Australia. Why shouldn't the BHA uh, do that here in Great Britain? Um, I think they realise that the mechanism they've got at the moment is outdated and insufficient. And so we have to identify what the proper one is. And uh, what I'm saying is, Plumpton puts in 35% of its total racing revenue. We don't have to. Uh, our obligation is only to put in 23.9%. But we feel that, A, we can afford to put in 35% and, B, that it's the right thing to do. So we need to find what that percentage is. And BHA needs to say that is the percentage. And if you don't put that in, then there's going to be some consequences and some sanctions. Uh, the irony is not going to be lost on anyone, Peter, that you, know, you as a, uh, an owner slash chairman of a, of a small independent race course and a former chairman of the BHB is advocating for a fair prize money distribution or what you perceive to be a fairer prize money distribution, yet your proposal does not have the support of the, of the thoroughbred group, as explicitly stated uh, to me a few weeks ago by its chairman, Julian Richmond Watson. So how, however well-intentioned this is, can you possibly get this over the line? Well, I think uh, a few weeks ago, the Thoroughbred Group's own strategy was very unclear. Um, all their strategy appeared to be at that time was we need to have the financial information from racecourses to decide what the proper uh, uh, division of revenue was. They were also at that time talking about a percentage of media rights. Um, and that, has, as I understand it, has all changed in the last few weeks. And from what I understand, they're now much more aligned with what I've been saying all along, which is that it has to be a percentage of total racing revenue. Um, so, so I'm not sure whether they have, in terms of the structure that they think, because, as I say, several weeks ago, there was no idea or, or clarity as to what the strategy of the, of the thoroughbred group was, other than to get financial information so they could decide what their strategy is. But from what I understand now, they appear to have been persuaded by a number of racecourses that a percentage of media rights is, is not the right thing. And I wasn't able to, to align myself with, with their thinking because Plumpton, uh, back when we had the last uh, prize money agreements, was the one racecourse that refused to sign one 
on the basis that deciding that a race course should put in a percentage of its media rights was totally unfair to small race courses because they represent 80% of our total racing revenue, whereas they only represent 20% of a, of a large race course. So the mechanism is totally unfair. It will get challenged. Arena are totally against that as a mechanism uh, and would challenge it. And I don't see how anybody can argue with a percentage of total racing revenue. And it seems like um, reading the paper yesterday that Goodwood agrees in principle that that is a workable mechanism. Yeah, Adam Waterworth, the, the, the managing director at Goodwood and, and indeed of the whole sporting estate there, made some quite interesting comments. He did say that there needs to be a, a long-term and sustainable plan and this can't just be a, a sticking plaster. He also made the point that uh, do you want to be wed to the idea of a fixed percentage of revenue when racing's revenues are declining and, and made the point that shouldn't we be concentrating on the way we grow revenues rather than squabbling over what the correct percentage is? Well, the whole, the whole benefit of this plan, Nick, is that when you get owners, when you get horsemen and racecourses on the same side, then all of a sudden the arguments between horsemen and racecourses have been going on since I came into the sport in 1977 disappear because everybody is interested in growing the revenue because horsemen know that they'll get a, a particular percentage of the revenue that is generated in addition. I'm in favour of racecourses getting uh, incentives to put in more than 33 and a third percent, which is the figure that I'm calling for uh, as a minimum. Uh, currently, according to the RCA, it's 29%, but the difference between 29% and 33 and a third percent is somewhere around 35 million pounds. And I believe that that's money that should be going into, into prize money and could go into prize money if racecourses were, were put in a position where they had to run a tight ship. And they, they're not in that position at the mm. moment because they don't have the top slice revenue. Which, race, top... which racecourses don't you think are pulling their weight in this respect, Peter? I don't, I don't want to get into it. I have some, some ideas. A lot of the information is in companies' house and can be seen fairly easily. Um, but if a racecourse thinks that it's got a different business model and it has to come forward and, and open its books up and, and let everybody know why it has a different model. But small race courses like Plumpton can afford to put in a third of their racing revenue. Large race courses like York, as far as I can see, put in a third of their total racing revenue. So I'm not quite sure who's got the argument that they can't do that. Luck on Sunday. Brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world.